Hello, and welcome to Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I am joined by James, and we're going to be discussing the Miles Morales clone saga. James, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? I am doing well. Now, this is one that you had recommended we do, and this is from the Miles Morales colon Spider-Man title, issues, what, 25 through 28, and I-, I went ahead and read 29, which is like an epilogue to it or something like that. Cool. It's been years since I've read the Miles Morales Spider-Man title, and by which I mean... Whatever Spider-Man title Miles Morales has been headlining, because I haven't read this particular volume, I think, at all. I think I bowed out of the Miles Morales stuff around the time of whatever event it was where they were outlawing the the teen heroes with the Kamala's Law and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. It was a couple of years back. And it was just, I was looking to cut back, it was an easy place to cut back, and, you know, since then, Ms. Marvel doesn't seem to have a regular title. Nova doesn't have a regular title. Champions is gone. Uh, a few of the other, you know, teenish books seem to have fallen by the wayside. And I'm not saying there's a cause-effect relationship there. It's sheer coincidence, but... Yeah. <laughs> but just, just you know, keep that in mind, creators, when I drop one of your titles. Just say, no, I'm kidding. No, it's true. I'll tell you what, though. Like, I was reading Miles Morales' Spider-Man. I read the, uh, the Saladin Ahmed arc or whatever. Mm-hmm. He did 42 issues. I read the first 12, then he lost me. I was like, this is not working for me, whatever, and I left it. And then I started seeing advertisements. This is something I would never do because I'm in cutback mode now. And I, I kept seeing, oh, you know, the uh, Clone Saga, Clone Saga, Clone Saga. So I was like, eh, I'll give it a try. And I pu- picked it back up at issue 25. I was like, oh, this is decent. And I read it from 25 till the end when he finished it at 42. Overall, I would say this was a, a decent story. I think that's a, a good way to summarize it. And having read the never-ending clone saga back in, I forget if it was the 80s or 90s or whatever, but yeah, <laughs> the, the second go-round on that that went forever, and then having not too long ago with Sam read the original clone saga. Oh, yeah. I was totally game for this. I was curious. Yeah, and so uh, what did you think of it overall? Well, going into it, I think I had forgotten how much I'd forgotten about the Miles Morales character. Okay, yeah, a lot, I imagine. <laughs> like, oh yeah, he can cloak into invisibility. Forgot about that. Yeah, kind of a cool cool feature. <laughs> oh yeah, he can shoot lightning. Oh yeah, kind of forgotten about that. I mean, I, I knew these things, I just didn't remember them, and I'm like, I think what I think of as, as spider powers and what they think of as spider powers, a little different. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> but it's the Marvel Universe, maybe they have invisible lightning shooting spiders as a common thing there. I don't know. <laughs> But overall, it was a good story. The introductions of the clones, I mean, granted, it was four issues compared to, like, the never-ending clone saga that went for literally 40 or 50 or more issues back in the day. Yeah, I have two omnibus on the last clone saga. (laughs) Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. So they introduced the clones pretty quickly and pretty suddenly. Yeah, just out of the blue. Boom, here they are. And when I first got to them, I'm like, okay, one is a very spidery Spider-Man kind of, but you know, spider-looking multiple arms and insect-looking approach to it, and I'm like, oh, how clever. Yep. 
And then we get the one with the knives, whose name is Salim, which is miles backwards. I'm like, oh, how clever. <laughs> and then we get the shape-shifting one, who an issue or two later starts going by the name Shift. Shift, yep. Oh, how clever. And it's funny because Salim reminded me a little, but not entirely, of either the, the Ben Riley or maybe the Kane clones from that Spider-Man Peter Parker saga. Now that you say that, I can see it. A shift reminded me a bit of Spider-Side. Yep. Because another shape-shifting one. I will say that the spidery one, whose name turns out to be... Oh, it was uh, Mind Mind Spanner. Spanner. Yeah. Yeah, Mind Spanner. Which, again, how clever. Mind powers, uh, you know, whatever. It was at least a different kind of a a take on it. It, He was a different take. Which one, if you had to look at these, would you think would stick, you know, in the book? Would be the character that stuck? Well, I having seen solicits, I knew it was going to be shift. I yeah, <laughs> I would not have put mind spinner. I think Selim had a decent shot at it. I do too. I think Selim could have been a long term like an, a nemesis, much like Kane in the original stuff. Exactly, but it was it was actually shift who I always referred to him as. Uh, what is it? Glurp. He always says glurp. Yeah, like oh, that's the glurp guy. <laughs> you know, he he reminded me of what's his name from. The uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I can't think of his name right now. The tree. Oh, Groot. Groot. Yeah, because he just keeps saying glurp, glurp, glurp. And I'm yeah. like, Groot, Groot, Groot. Yeah. Well, it's funny because one of the other things with him, it was introduced in the first issue, but not attributed to him. And that was kind of that rainbow color smoke stuff. Yeah, exactly. When I first saw that, I was like, what in the heck is this? <laughs> I mean, to me, it's Shades of Power Rangers. Whenever they morph, you get this rainbow smoke half the time or whatever. But yeah, I'm like, what is that? And then. When we get it later, and Shift has essentially graffiti powers. Yeah, that one. <laughs> okay. You're like, oh, we'll roll with that. <laughs> A person of color, Spider-Man, his clone has graffiti powers. I'm not sure what you're saying there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was at least interesting and well-used, if completely inexplicable as to why does he have these or whatever. Yeah, yeah. When we got to the part of Salim meaning undamaged in Arabic, I think that was in issue 26 or whatever. Yeah. That whole scene, he was spouting so much attitude. I'm like, well, which language is it attitude? Exactly. Because, I mean, he was, he was brutal to Miles for, for almost no particular reason, it felt like. Yeah, there's a lot of anger and hatred there. You're like, where is this coming from? Well, and that's where I felt these clones were not introduced particularly well. We never got until later kind of their side of the story. And all of them, it was in a, a flashback of, of exposition. And I felt we could have cared a little bit more about them. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of weird because it, sometimes you feel like things are so decompressed and that it takes forever. Like an arc like this, they could have stretched it into, if they really wanted to, 12 issues. You know, the reveal, this, that, the other backstories and things like that. And this was nice and concise but almost too concise because you didn't have enough time to flesh the characters out i felt like at times yeah yeah i think they needed to to give us a little more insight into them and show us that not just tell us that yeah exactly this one had i think what i was enjoying about it when i first read it i dropped off the title it wasn't working for me i was like this isn't very good and then i got back into here and it had a little of that miles charm Mm -hmm. it had some new characters it was just kind of action, and it felt like it, almost like it flowed really quick. Like, it wasn't bogged down, so you almost could breeze through the issue, and it was an easy read. 
and I was amazed that I was able to pish, pick it up after you know not having touched the book for 12 issues and just pop, pop, pop and go right with it. And I didn't feel lost. And I feel like a lot of yeah. books, if you pick them up at issue 25, you really are not going to know what's going on. And you're going to be you're going to be lost with the story. Again, it had been years since I'd read Miles's title. Yeah. And okay, I'd forgotten about the cloaking and the the lightning or whatever, but it was introduced. It was not oh, what's this? You know, it's like oh yeah, I remember now. Okay. And I was able, you know, from that point on, I was pretty much in the story. Yeah. The backstory on the assessor and all that lost on me, but I I learned what I needed to in the story, so that's cool. The fact of this, the status quo of, okay, what's up with Genki? What's up with the parents? Oh, I guess he's got a younger sister now. I don't remember how much of that I knew and forgotten about or whatever, but none of it barred entry into the story. Yeah, exactly. You, you just kind of picked it up and you're like, oh, he has a little sister. It didn't really affect the story and the hook that they played with the sister. It worked, even though we had no connection, or at least it worked for me. It worked for me. The problem I had with the younger sister, the baby. Yeah. Was how the baby was introduced into the story. Okay. You didn't like that? Well, we're in with the family. We're all going on what's going on with the cell phone. There's this other Spider-Man and stuff like that. And it seemed like at one or two points, we're like jumping 180 degrees of, of where the camera is. Yeah. To where we see dad looking at Miles kind of to the left. And then next panel, dad and mom looking to the right, addressing Miles and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, that... that that kind of bothered me a little bit. Up until this point, I don't think we've seen any sign that there is a baby. Yet we flip the page, and on the bottom of it, Dad's sitting there with, with the baby in the bottle and all this stuff, like it's always been there. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Because now that you say it, I'm looking at that page. It's issue 27, and yeah, you don't know it until you see it. And then I can't remember if maybe they had talked about the baby in previous issues, and I just wasn't there. It, it's actually in the 25 I was talking about. Oh, 25. Okay. Uh, my bad then. It's I was like the opening scene. So they may have done it more than once. Okay. Gotcha. I was flipping back to where they actually showed him going for the baby. Salim. <laughs> yeah. All right. So cool, cool. There's a couple of things. And this, this is just on the artist and how they're telling the story. And it's not catastrophic or anything like that, but it's something that I think could have been a little more polished. And maybe this artist could get a little more guidance from the editor or a little more direction from the writer or something like that. To where when like the baby shows up, it's not just a where did that come from moment. Yeah, where's this baby? Where where's he? <laughs> well, where or where where'd she pop she. up from? Yeah, 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 she. But overall, it was like it was an interesting story because I didn't like the spider character. I did not like head mind spinner at all. Yeah, yeah, too spidery looking. Yeah, the Salim, the backwards Miles. He was he was a little bit over the top with the anchor, which you know. And what's weird is they touched on the, hey, you're cloned from him. It was a different, completely different than the original clone saga, where we don't mm-hmm. find out Miles is the clone or anything. But I almost think they made him too angry because coming from Miles, but I, at the same time, I can understand it a little bit. I really liked what they did with Shift, though, how Shift was able to reason with Miles and become a little bit better and stand up. And it almost becomes like a two-on-two fight at one, the one point in the comic. I really like that, and I, I like Shift going forward when he was came up in the stories after this little clone saga. Remind me at the end, Shift coming back into the story, because I got something on that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I liked how the three clones, the, the relationship between them and the brother dynamic there was set up very early on and very well. So when there's, you know, clones turning on clones, the why they're doing it makes perfect sense. Yes. 
So I thought that was really well done. And again, I would have liked a, a little bit more than just the flashback, I think, in 27, where we get all this about uh, the assessor who was an algorithm, although he looked kind of humanoidish to me, and how he tortured them and all of this stuff. And, you know, we, we get this exposition dump, and I think there's got to have been a better way to explain why was Salim so angry? Why was he one who could actually pass for Miles? Yeah. Whereas the other two were so kind of misshapen and, and very clearly... Distorted, yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things I really enjoyed, and I think it was issue 26 where this happened, where Miles gets home, Genki is just ticked off at him, and Miles is like, why? Is like, yeah, okay, I left a little hot and heavy and stuff, and I apologize for all that. And then Genki shows him the phone, and there's all this, this trash talk on there, and they quickly realize the cell phone had been cloned. Yeah, that was clever. <laughs> I mean, that is hilarious. But it also shows how much life has changed since the earlier Peter Parker clone sagas, where there weren't cell phones to go cloning. Very true. Yeah, very true. That was kind of fun. He's like, that wasn't me. <laughs> but yeah, that, that that's it's changed so much. That, that original clone saga, I remember it dragging on forever. And in the heat of the moment, I liked it, and then I hated it, and then I liked it again. Well, you've got to go chase down on the internet the life of Riley which is one of the assistant editors who was involved in all that, giving the backstory of the whole clone saga that went on forever and a day. And basically, they had planned to do something not much longer than this one. Oh, wow. That was it. <laughs> but sales were great. So let's keep doing this. <laughs> let's keep doing this. Sales continue to be good. Let's keep doing this. And they're like, they're, they're spinning plates as fast as they can on that. And, you know, again, that story had its ups and downs. This Four Issues 5, if you count the epilogue, honestly didn't have a whole lot of time for ups and downs. It really didn't. It, it, it felt like a tight story. The whole thing takes place in, what, a day and a half of story time? Yeah, just boom, boom, boom. Here it is. Yeah. And here, here's your new character spinning out of it that you're going to go with. It just, it, it sailed through stuff. And it, again, easy read, like you said. What I really enjoyed about this comic is that it was written so tight and concise and that I was able to jump in and it was issue 25. And there's so few writers that you can do that with. You know, a lot of writers, you pick up issue 32, you can't jump in. And I remember they talked about this as this is a jumping on point. I'm like, this is the epitome of a jumping on point. It, you, I felt like you could pick it up and it made sense. And, and that's tough to do. It's tough to, to, to sell that. And I picked it up. I enjoyed it. And I saw it till issue 42. And I was happy with it. And this was a writer who I was really not a big fan of before. I could understand all of that. It definitely, again, high marks on accessibility. Interesting story. Again, told maybe a little too fast. This is something that I think if they'd added, if they'd gone from a four-issue arc to a six-issue arc, they could have fleshed out the characters a little bit more, introduced them a little better. Yeah. And that might have helped. But it was still accessible, and they gave quite a bit of characterization for the three clones. So I appreciated that. Now, as far as the quality of the writing, I, I got kind of mixed feelings because, I, I, you know, again, I mentioned the, the baby that appeared out of nowhere earlier. Yeah. When we get the flashback of the three clones escaping, they're clearly in, like, you know, hospital gown type stuff or whatever, not these spider suits that they magically got. I'm like, how did they get those? <laughs> Again, not uh, Achilles' heel of the story, but something that did make me stop and, and question. And it kind of resolved itself pretty quickly there at the end of, okay, they turn, we're down to just the one, and you know, boom, we're done or whatever, which 
given the past history of clones and stuff, makes sense to kind of clearly close the door on are there still going to be clones out there? Whereas, again, that was something that haunted Peter Parker forever. Yeah. That goes back to one of the other things about this story is Peter Parker is in it just long enough to fight Miles thinking he's a clone, help Miles try to look for these clones, tell Miles, oh yeah, clones aren't all that good, and then poof, Peter's out of the story. Yeah, he's out. In and out. (laughs) Here, let me drop some knowledge on you. I'll help you out a little bit. Boom. See ya. (laughs) Yeah. Which was kind of interesting. (laughs) And it seemed like when Miles was going to try to help cure these clones, Peter might have been a go-to guy. But the fact that in, I guess it was the second chapter of the story, Miles destroys what turns out to be a cure for the clones. Him destroying it made sense because he's like, oh, it's an evil plan. Because, I mean, these guys have been pretty mean to him and stuff, so not thinking the best of them made sense. It also being a cure for clones that are going to break down or whatever, given the history of spider clones in this universe, also made sense. So the reveal of all that stuff played well. Yes, it did. What I thought was totally ludicrous, and this gets into actually number 29. Okay. Uh, You didn't read that one because that was the epilogue. I didn't read 29, yeah. Okay, first off, there's still shift out there, and the question is, is he going to break down and, and like clones do? So Miles gets Genki to help him. Genki's got full run of the lab at the high school. And this high school lab? Crazy high tech. Oh, yeah. I mean, it looks like something out of a Stark Labs kind of a thing. I mean, it's got like a Cree bioscanner and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I don't care who the high school student is. Letting any high school student or high school teacher, for that matter... have free reign of this kind of a high-tech lab, you're asking for new heroes and villains to get spawned out of this thing. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. (laughs) But at the end of issue 28... Okay. We've resolved Mind Spinner and Salim. They're basically turned on each other. They apparently are dead. Yep. It's comics. Maybe they don't stay dead. Yeah. (laughs) But then Miles is like... Because Shift had kind of sided with him, and he's like, okay... Let's go home. I'll introduce you to the parents. Boy, are they going to be, you know, freaked out by this. But, you know, your brother and, you know, solidarity. Which, if if Peter treated Ben that way, might have been a very different thing. Very true. So, when I got to 29, because I'm like, okay, it's the epilogue. I know we didn't say we're going to read it, but why not? Miles had apparently gone home and to school, having left shift, I don't know where. (laughs) Was surprised shift was alive. And I'm like, it was a big enough break in the story flow between the two issues, I double-checked if it was a different writer. Oh, uh, yeah. See, I, I didn't read that, and that probably would have... That makes sense. That would have broken the story for me a bit. Oh, yeah, because... Well, if I was reading it month to month, maybe not, because I probably would have forgotten where the last issue left off. That's probably what happened with me. <laughs> but when I'm, um, you know, close one, open the next comic kind of thing, and, and boom... What's going on? Yeah, like, how does he not know this character's alive? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. That would be frustrating. So that makes sense. And once again, points to the totally different experience reading a story back to back to back versus Mm -hmm. reading it over a five-month span. This is one where I think between issues 28 and 29, you're better off having had that month to forget the things than reading it back to back. Yeah, knowing me and my tendencies, I probably picked it up and I probably read it. And I probably remember, oh, I remembered someone thought, maybe he thought something happened to him. I just kind of went with it. It, Just because that month, I forget things. I was probably reading 50 comics a week back then when this came out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Knowing me, I probably was somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 a week or 50 a week. Well, the other thing that kind of got me 
yeah. was in that, that issue 29, there's a little bit of, let's recap what had just happened in the arc, you know, for new readers and stuff like that. But there was a reference to a potential girlfriend or one or two other characters that hadn't been in the previous arc or whatever. Mm. So there's a, if I had gotten on board with the Clone Saga and I've been reading for four months at that point and I'm getting to this and I'm like, I mean, at some point they got to bring in the other stuff. But like, this is the one where Miles gets the new costume. Ah. And the the character he gets it from, I'm like, I don't know who this is. Apparently it's from a past story or whatever. So it was accessible, but not engaging, if you know what I mean. No, I know exactly what you mean. That makes sense. So some of the stuff that I thought they were doing right during the four issues of the Clone Saga, I felt they kind of tripped up on on that, that epilogue. With the fallout. Ah, all right. Interesting. Interesting. So I, now I kind of wish I would have read it with you. <laughs> Because I just read the first four, and I was like, okay, this is good. I remember this was the thing that got me back into Miles Morales and got Saladin Ahmed back into my good graces. Because he was a writer, he was writing some other things, and I just did not enjoy him. He wasn't at the level of, oh, I can't remember, some of the writers who I just really can't read. Mm-hmm. But he, he, he was almost at that level where anything that came out that was him, I was like, eh, I'm probably not going to enjoy this. And I picked it up and I read it, and I was like, okay this is working for me now. I felt like he had gotten his footing because he was a newer writer and it took him 29 months to, to I feel like, or 20, 25 months, I should say, to get to where I felt he was writing good stories at Miles Morales. Well, based on the five issues I read, I would put this writer as definitely that journeyman level. If you can give him an ongoing book and they can run with it and, and do okay with it. And there are going to be some, some highs and lows on that. Yeah, for sure. They're not going to be any meteoric highs of, oh my god, everyone's going to flock to this book, nor are there going to be any critical lows where everybody flees the book either. And I think that's exactly where he is, a journeyman. Yeah. And again, has some, some good moments, does some good things, but I think this is the kind of writer, if you pair it with the right editor who can be giving some guidance and some coaching and whatnot, they can get from not only being that journeyman who can keep the title afloat, but can become one of those people that starts to be, maybe not an A-list writer, but one of those B-ones that people start flocking to the book because they're on it. Yeah, I agree. Now, now, an interesting thing is in the 25th issue, which was like, I guess you could say an anniversary issue, (laughs) a quarter way to 100, we got Cody Ziegler doing a backup story in there. And did you read that or no? I read it. It wasn't that good. It was really kind of... But the the art style was way too cartoony. Oh my gosh, it was horrible. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It was good cartoony art, but having gone from something that was a lot more realistic, it's just jarring at that. Point. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the thing that was interesting to me is I remember that backup story, and I just, ugh, I I, I didn't care for it either time. This is like you know him getting a, a taste of writing Cody Ziegler, but he is now writing books at Marvel on his own. And I, I still feel like I don't like anything he writes. Just interesting. Okay, the villain of this backup story was the Bumbler. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if you've got a Bumblebee motif or not. Who's going to call themselves the Bumbler? I know. It's ridiculous. It's like, come on. <laughs> and then calling his his uh, weapons honey bombs like honeycombs. Yeah. And flat out saying it's more of a visual gag. It's like, dude, that's not a visual gag. That's a a visual pun that does not work verbally. It doesn't work at all. (laughs) It is horrible. And and I feel like 
the writer has maybe gotten a little better by now, but I, I saw that. And he, there are some books that he's been solicited. He's writing the books. I do not pick them up because you can see why. Do we ever see the Bumbler again? We will never see this. I've never seen the character again. I hope I never see the character again. I wouldn't mind seeing the character again. I think there's some potential for it, not with that name. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but, I mean, to me, it's the epitome of a backup story that, for all intents and purposes, may as well be filler, because nothing's going to come of this. Exactly. It just comes off as a story that, hey, let's tack on this 12 pages and charge a buck, or, or, or whatever it was charged at the point. It's not extra pages I would have paid extra money for if I had the choice. Exactly. It, it It's one of those things that kind of frustrates me at time, kind of like a lot of the DC backups did. When you, when you get something like that that's so different, the art style so different, the writing is so different, and it's if it's if it's kind of in the same vein, the same tone as what you're reading, or maybe the same art genre, if we were going to go realistic, keep it realistic, it might be something I enjoy. But if I'm picking up a realistic Miles Morales story, I don't want this buffoonery, cartoony-style story that goes nowhere and means nothing. Well, this reminded me of the backup feature in Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Where you went from a a fairly realistic level of art... To that Nubia thing. (laughs) uh, Well, to when I was thinking the young Diana stuff. Oh, the young Diana, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where it's a very cartoony Saturday morning almost feel to it, and not in a good way. Oh, that was pretty bad. Versus, was it, which was the one where Catwoman was the backup feature in one of the Batman titles? I forget it was Batman or Detective. I don't remember, but one of them. But it was recently, and it was one of those, it was the same art style, it was even feeding into the same overarching plot that was going on in the main story. It was Batman. That was Batman, yeah. yeah. It's a better backup than the Wonder Woman, and this, to me, had one advantage over the Wonder Woman stuff in that it was a done-in-one backup feature, not something that's going to torture us for six months. <laughs> but it's also something that, that doesn't add anything to the story, for me. Very much so. I almost didn't bring it up, but I wanted to ask you your opinion, just because that writer, writer Cody Ziegler, is starting to write main Marvel titles, and I just feel like, and there's no... Uh, there must be a nice way to say this, but it feels like we're we're at the, the bottom of the barrel as far as the talent pool. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Well, I don't think it's so much that the talent... Well, let me let me think how to phrase this. Yeah, I'm, I'm brutal. <laughs> you, you are brutal. I try to be a little nicer and stuff. I think the problem is that sales have gotten to a point and the economics have gotten to a point where you can't, as a publisher, afford to put top-tier A-plus talent on all your books, or even most of your books, or in some cases, maybe even any of your books. Yeah. And that means you're going to be paying a little less, you're going to be getting people earlier in their careers and stuff, you may be getting people where, uh, at some point, everybody's got to have their first story they do, either writer or an artist or whatever. Yeah. And it's not going to be brilliant. They need time, they need practice. I think the difference between today and, say, back in the day, and say maybe even the 80s and stuff, where DC had a lot of backup features... Some of them were newer talent and stuff. The difference was they had very experienced editors who were making a point of not only trying out the new talent, but grooming them and training them and and critiquing them, sometimes brutally maybe, to improve them to where they could be taking over the lead stories and stuff. And most of those would be like, I remember one in the back of DC Comics Presents where they would be doing whatever happened to this, that, or the other character. And I don't remember how many of those were big-name creators at the time and how many of those were he's-got-to-start-somewhere creators. Yeah, yeah. 
they were all decent backup features. Yeah, usually we I've noticed with Marvel what they do. And DC does stuff like this too. I, I just don't have it down how they're doing it or where they're doing it. Marvel used to always stick the annuals with these new writers. D- doing like, mm-hmm. basically like, hey, here's three or four writers with three or four stories in this annual. Boom. And just, you know, toss it out there. Maybe you, they'll throw you a bone at the main writer writes some little thing that ties into the main book. But in general, they didn't tie in that much to the main story that was going on. And so I almost got to the point where I was skipping the annuals because I knew it was like a testing ground, you know, at Marvel. And so I don't know if that's a better way of doing it, going in with these annuals and stuff like this, doing these little backup stories. But eventually you got to give writers a chance. Well, and, and artists and letterers and colorists. An artist, and yeah, but it, it, it's kind of hard because, like, it, it's become so expensive that I'm wary about putting, laying out the money to buy this thing and to pay for the storage and have it stored in here for something that I really might not like. And so I'm worried. So I go towards known names, known artists, known writers, known colorists. And I'm really kind of worried when it's someone completely new because of stuff like this. And I'm just like, I don't want to get stuck with that book. And then be in the pre-order cycle and get two or three issues of, you know, this Bumble character. <laughs> well, I mean, we're at the point where comics are got a cover price of three ninety nine or four ninety nine or five ninety nine. Yep, that's literally ten times the cover price from when I started. Yeah, it's insane. The the stories aren't ten times better. Nope, they're not ten times worse either. Sometimes they're just as good. Sometimes they're better or worse. Whatever. I think using an annual. Even if you've got an anchor story with known creators and stuff, but using that to try out new talent is risky because those are usually that dollar or two more. Yeah, they really are. I don't want to pay a dollar or two more for somebody's tryout. Exactly. One approach DC took back in the day that was kind of interesting was the New Talent Showcase. Ah, all right. And it was an anthology, kind of like how Marvel Comics Presents was back in the day, where they'd have three or four stories and stuff, and they'd be, you know, eight pages or whatever. And this is, I think, a slightly larger thing so they could do, you know, the bigger page count and such. But no one team was doing more than about eight pages. And New Talent Showcase, it says right there in the title, it's New Talent they're showcasing. Some was better than others. And if you didn't like one story, there was other stuff. You knew what you were getting. Yeah. Whereas trying to do an anthology book where they're almost forcing us to pay the extra buck or two for somebody's, you know, first tryout story or something. It's kind of rough. It's it's unfair at the very least. Yeah, so th- that's where I'm kind of like, eh. Uh, that backup story, I didn't even know if I was going to bring it up, but I figured I would just because I saw him in the solicits in the latest Marvel's catalog. And I remember I've read so many of these little side stories by him and it, just the tone of the stories and the writing style, it's just not for me. So I'm like, but you know, every now and then I get fooled because like I said, Saladin Ahmed I thought was not a writer for me. And then midway through Miles Morales, all of a sudden it changed and I started to enjoy a, li- a little bit. I wouldn't say it's my favorite book, but I would say he did a decent job. Some of it is they need to have a little runway to, to get into the swing of things. In this case, this whole story was predicated on a past story with the assessor who had captured and apparently tortured Miles for a while and got the DNA samples to be growing the clones from. Yeah. So there's a planting of a seed and then the fruition of it, you know, a year or two later, because I think that was, I forget when the other story, I don't know when the other story was, I didn't read it. (laughs) So having that runway, having that time to do that, I think is beneficial. But I think there's also a balance between every issue standing on its own, and I'm not going to say these necessarily did, 
every arc kind of standing on their own, but also having that smooth flow between issues, between arcs, and again, between kind of arcs, depends if you count 29 as part of another arc or part of the Spider uh, Clone Saga or not, I don't know. Again, could have done a little better there. Yeah, I agree. But overall, I enjoyed it back when I was reading it in the monthly things. It was one of those titles I picked up in it. I think I was going into it with such low expectations that it kind of surprised me that I did enjoy it. And so I, I just thought, hey, this is something that's kind of real quick, boom, boom, done in four <laughs> issues that you could try. Because I know from back in the Ultimate Universe, you used to like Miles Morales. You used to let, read the book. And I know you weren't reading it now. Yeah, no, it's it's a good character. And I think this is a good story with it. And I appreciated how it wasn't just a retread of previous clone sagas. Yeah. You know, it was it was good. But it was not something that made me think, man, I just have to go pick up the current Miles Morales title or go catch up on everything. But it was a solid read, and if I was looking to expand my reading list, and right now, frankly, I'm not, but if I were, I could see this getting on the list. Yeah, and, and that's what happened whenever this came out. I don't even remember me for the life of me when it came out, but it was something where I was like, okay, I expanded, I gave it a try, I enjoyed it, and they got 17 issues out of me, and then you know, uh, Marvel killed it for me. <laughs> I don't even know if there is a Miles Morales title now. I think there is, but somebody else is writing it. They just started one up. Who is the writer? Do you know? I have no idea because I skipped it. I think I skipped it too based on the writer, and I can't remember who it is. But anyways, I was flipping through my previews while we're talking. <laughs> for me, I picked it. I, I didn't pick it up, I should say, on the grounds that, I mean, for me, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Yeah, and, and I do like Miles, but yeah. Oh, here it is. Now you know why I didn't pick it up. The writer's Cody Ziegler. <laughs> and I just went on, oh, I don't like that guy. That's literally why I didn't pick it up. And so he may be another guy like Salad Ahmed. Maybe around issue 25, if they have a new jumping on point, maybe he will, hopefully he's been edited and he's worked out the kinks and maybe he's a much better writer because everyone needs a chance and people either get better or they get unemployed in this industry, in the comics industry. Well, the problem is these days, when they get too much better, they get unemployed because they can't be afforded anymore. Very true. That happens too. Yep, yep. I mean, there's a lot of top-flight talent out there that's not working at Marvel and DC, and I do think some of it, not all of it, but some of it is DC Marvel can't pay their rates. No, it's true. I mean, you got to think about it from these guys' perspectives, or ladies, or whoever it is. They have families, you know, and they have kids, and they have mortgages. And they're doing a Miles Morales. They get paid X amount to do it. Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes it's not. They do indie stuff. Sometimes that's not enough. And some of them go on to be writers for TV shows and for movies and things like that, or write a novel. Well, using, I think, an apropos example based on Miles Morales, let's take Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. Suppose you hire him over at DC, non-hypothetically speaking, to write Superman for a while. <laughs> Either it's going to have the sales to justify the cost of somebody like a Brian Michael Bendis, who's been around the industry for a while as an A-list talent, or it's not going to have the sales to justify that. And maybe after a year or two or however long it was, you just don't renew the contract because you kind of can't afford to. That's exactly, yeah, that happened. And I remember when it happened, it, it felt like it was a coup for Dan DiDio and DC and when that happened. Absolutely was. I was like, wow, they got the top writer at Marvel, and it just didn't pan out, and then he went from here to there to wherever. He went to the Legion. It didn't read well. Sales petered out, and he created a new character. Um, I, What's her name? I can't remember. The girl. Naomi. Naomi. 
that didn't they did a tv show that probably didn't and now he's off into the abyss and he's at dark horse doing indie stuff now in fairness i don't know if it's that dc couldn't pay him enough to continue or whatever or couldn't justify the cost or whatever or if he decided he's not getting the audience he wanted and wanted to move on there's a lot of possibilities yeah who knows i mean we're not there to know exactly the details of how it played out. But as the creator of Miles Morales, could Marvel afford slash justify bringing Bendis back to do another run with the character or something? Would Bendis want to come back? Yeah, that's the big question. Would he want to? Because if he came back, I'd be excited to read that. Would you? Yes and no. I mean, part of it is it's Bendis, so there's that. And that's his character. It's his character, but he's also the king of decompression. That's true. There is that. This would not have been a four-issue clone saga with Bendis. No, it would have been a (laughs) 12-issue maxi-series. Yeah. The only way they could have fit it into four months is if they printed an issue every week. Yeah, and that thing with Genki and the old ex-girlfriend of Miles, that would have played out with talking heads for two pages with 100 little text bubbles in there. (laughs) Well, and that was one of the things I did really enjoy about this clone saga, is it was an easy read. It was. And at times, that's what I look for in life, because comics, I love comics when they're done well. Mm-hmm. I had to preface that, when they're done well. And when you're in the mood to read something and then have some enjoyment, it's nice to not have to sit there and, you know, almost almost like I'm studying, like I'm in class and trying to remember things and take notes and go back and read prose dialogue boxes, you know, that's tedious at times. And so when it's something's breezy and light and it's still good, it just feels refreshing at times. Yeah. And this, again, easy read, not a light in terms of, of hollow either. There's plenty going on. It's something that I was engaged in the story and it's got a little bit of the roller coaster ride feel to it in terms of uh, very much an in the moment story, but also something that holds together decently enough when I stop and think about it. It's not airtight but it doesn't completely collapse either. I agree. So overall, you know, I'm happy that I jumped on at this point and I'm happy you got a chance to read it because I thought it'd be nice just to give you a little taste of what Mm -hmm. got me back into the book way back in the day when that came out. (laughs) I can totally see how it got you back in the book and I think it was a really good pick. So I'm glad you suggested it. Yeah, so it was fun, uh, light read. And if you are a fan of Miles Morales, you could literally pick it up at issue 25 and read to 42 and be done with the entire series because now it's Cody Ziegler. And if you're a fan of, of Miles and you haven't read this Clone Saga, I think it's worth checking out. It's an easy read. I don't know how it was collected. I imagine it was at least the five issues, but I again, I don't know. That would be my guess. And yeah, like you said, easy read. Yeah. Anything else? No, that does it for me. Cool. Recording clips for the preview Spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview Spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview Spotlight. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.